0: It is a delight to be here this morning and to participate with you in the celebration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This this day that we celebrate this great historical event is the high watermark of the Christian faith. This is what it's all about. Jesus has conquered sin and the grave, and by faith in him... We share his resurrection life. It is the message of Christianity. It is all about the resurrection. It leads to the resurrection and through the resurrection to the ascension and lordship of Jesus Christ. And I thought nothing could be more appropriate on an Easter morning than to, to back up and put this resurrection event in its proper context to take us through the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what I want to do with you this morning. And so rather than pick a passage of Scripture and and explain it to you, we're going to look at many Scriptures together as we trace a very simple outline that we call Two Ways to Live. This outline consists of six points, six points that encapsulate The Christian message. It is not our purpose this morning to defend the Christian message, but simply to declare it for you and to you. We've arranged for some illustrations along the way. Some people are visual learners, and so hopefully these illustrations help cement these six points of the Christian gospel securely in your hearts and minds. So are you ready? Let's do it. Point number one. God is the loving ruler of the world. We have a crown to symbolize God and will do so throughout the remainder. God is the loving ruler of the world. He made the world. He made us rulers of the world under him. It all begins with God. The Christian message doesn't begin with us. It's not about what we have done, not about uh, our efforts to reach to God. It is about God reaching to us. And so, a loving God, it begins there. And, and by his initiative, he brings into being all that we can see and beyond. No passage of Scripture, I think, says it better than the very first chapter of Genesis. And so I invite you to open your Bibles and turn there to Genesis chapter 1, where we are introduced to our loving Creator. God, who brought this creation into existence in all of its beauty, all of its grandeur, all of its splendor, all of its complexity, all of its diversity, and he brought it into being that man might enjoy it with him. Genesis chapter 1 and beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning, a third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs. And for seasons, and for days, and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens, to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful. And multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. In an economy of words... The scriptures narrate for us God's amazing creative process. By the word of his power, he spoke into being all that is. He demonstrates his authority over it as Lord and King of the universe by naming each and every thing that he has created. The greatest event of the creation, the pinnacle of his creative activity in those six days was to call forth man and woman made in his own image. That he might share with us some of his own attributes. That we might resemble him. The highest of the created order, man and woman. And God placed them into his creation to to manage his creation, to to care for his creation, to to exercise stewardship over his creation like like a gardener would care for a wealthy man's estate. And God gave to mankind considerable authority in exercising that stewardship over the creation. We, as human beings, are amazing creations, special creations of God. He has made us the rulers of the world. The scripture says that we should honor and glorify God as the source and origin of all things. In this way, the scripture says it in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. It says, For you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. What a great and glorious beginning. But is that the way it is now? Is that the way it is now? When we look around, is this what we see? A pristine glory in which man and woman made in the image of God are are fulfilling the, the very purpose by which God brought them into existence to begin with. Oh no my friends it is not what we see for you you understand that we that we all reject the ruler god by trying to run life our own way without him but we fail to rule ourselves or society or the world we reject god's rule we don't want him to be king over us. We want our own crown. We we want to be our own king. We want to do our own thing. We don't like it when people tell us what to do. And we particularly don't like it when God tells us what to do. And so each of us attempts to establish our own little dominion, our our own little throne, our own little kingdom where, where we can do what we want. Without rule. We want to be a, a rule unto ourselves. And hence lies the problem, doesn't it? If each of us is a, is a law and a rule unto ourselves, each king over our, our own self, each desiring to do whatever it is we want to do, it's inevitable that these kingdoms will clash. That we will find ourselves in conflict. And indeed, that is the state of the world, is it not? It's interesting. We 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 say that we are our own boss, we are our own king, we are the captain of our own ship, of our own destiny, and yet we we cannot rule even ourselves. We cannot rule ourselves. Our thought life is corrupt. We cannot do the very things we want to do, and we, we find ourselves doing things we do not want. Society is a mess. Everywhere you turn, everywhere you look, everybody out for themselves, right? Clamoring to have it their own way. Butting heads with one another. You drive down the freeway and and people cut you off because they want your lane. And how dare you be in their lane? And heaven forbid you beep your horn at them, huh? Then you really find out how much they want their own autonomy. Beloved, society is a mess. Everywhere we turn, people at each other's throats, poverty, violence, injustice, everywhere we look. But it's not just an American problem, is it? It's not just a a problem of first world nations. It's not just a problem associated with with wealth and and position and prosperity. We see the same thing in the the very poorest of nations. It does not matter what you have. It's what has you and, and people are at each other's throats. Nation against nation. Ethnic strife and violence wars and rumors of wars is the constant state of the human predicament more people killed in the 20th century than in all the other centuries combined governments slaughtering their own civilians their own citizens by the millions yea hundreds of millions for the course of a century the world is broken The world is messed up because we are broken. We are messed up. The scriptures make the state of the human condition very, very clear in Romans chapter 3. And so I invite you to to turn there where we hear the words of St. Paul. He brings all of humanity before the bar of justice. And he reads the the accusation and the verdict against us. In Romans chapter 3 and beginning in verse 10. A universal condemnation of the human race. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. We are ignorant and we are rebellious. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. We are willful and we are rancid. There is none who does good, not even one. We are an immoral people. Their throat is an open grave. Corruption lies in our mouths. With our tongues they keep deceiving. We are deceitful and liars by nature. The poison of asps is under their lips. We are dangerous. We are dangerous. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. We are hostile. Hostile one to another. Their feet are swift to shed blood. We are violent. Destruction and misery are in their paths. We are destructive. Everywhere we go, the human race leaves a path of destruction in its wake. And the path of peace, they have not known. We are restless, restless. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. We are arrogant. It's summed up well for us in verse 23. All have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What will God do? about this rebellion? What will God do about mankind in rebellion against their creator? Beloved, God will not let us rebel forever. God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. Death and judgment. God cares enough about us, to not let our rebellion go on forever, unpunished. He doesn't merely turn his back and walk away, throw up his hands in frustration and say, what a mess they've made of it, I am out of here. God remains engaged with his creation, and he will not allow the rebellion to continue unpunished forever. In our rebellion, we don't want God. We want nothing to do with God. We want to be our own gods. And, and so God punishes by granting the very foolish request, the foolish demand that we make. God separates us from him. He separates us from him. He, he cuts us off from the source and fountain of all life and goodness. Death is fundamentally separation. Physical death, as you and I know it, is a separation of the body and the soul. Eternal death, spiritual death, is a separation of the soul from God. To be cut off from the author of life. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says it well. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Wages are what come to you after you work. It is what you have earned. It is what you are entitled to. And the wage of our sin, of our rebellion, the Scripture says, is death. But it's not that God hasn't warned us. I take you all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. And there we, we see that from the beginning, our very first parents, Adam and Eve, God warned them. Genesis chapter 2 and, and beginning in verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. What a gentleman, huh? Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent because you have done this cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field and on your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return now the man called his wife's name eve because she was the mother of all the living the lord god made garments of skin for adam and his wife and clothed them To the tree of life. That which began so good ends so bad. Cut off from God. Beloved, it doesn't take long for the effect of Adam's rebellion to begin to manifest itself. In fact, in the very next chapter, we are introduced to fratricide. One brother killing another. We get to chapter 5, and it's known as the the graveyard of Genesis. For eight times we hear the refrain, and he died. We are given an incredible litany of, of the ancients, the patriarchs of old, who lived a long, long time, but no matter how long they lived, it always ends with the refrain, and he died. Death the penalty of sin the writer to the Hebrews says it well in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment God's justice sounds hard God's justice sounds hard But because of his love, because of his love, God sent his son into the world, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus always lived under God's rule. Yet by dying in our place, he he took our punishment and brought forgiveness. Oh, what a glorious turn of events. From the darkest moment, the the darkest time, God steps into space and time on a seek and save mission, a a rescue mission for humanity that that is absolutely without hope. The Bible says it this way in John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world, a world in rebellion against him. For God so loved the world that he gave, the initiative lies with God, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 says it this way. But when the fullness of the time came, at the right moment, a moment of God's own choosing, when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman born under the law so that he might redeem those who are under the law and that we might receive the adoption as sons. God sent forth his son. Jesus always lived under God's rule. Jesus succeeded where where all of us have failed. Nothing says it more clearly, I think, than Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, and verse 5. The voice of the Father from heaven gives witness to the perfect life of of his own son. He says, verse 5, at the end of the verse, a voice calling out of the cloud said this, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. With whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. God sent forth his son into the world Jesus always lived under God's authority, God's rule. And then this innocent one willingly gave himself. The one who had authority over disease and sickness. The one who gave sight to the blind. The one who restored withered limbs. The one who walked on water. The one who who created food to feed the multitudes. The one who raised Lazarus from the dead. This one willingly, humbly, lovingly submitted himself to death. On behalf of me and you. Again, I turn you to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, and hear the words of the very Son of God as he hung upon a Roman cross, not for his sin, but for yours in your place, as your substitute, took upon himself the punishment due for your rebellion. Verse 45 of Matthew chapter 27. Now from the sixth hour, that is noon, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. That would be 3 p.m. From noon to 3 p.m., darkness across the land as the wrath of almighty God for the accumulated sin of his people, past, present, and future. All of it, all of, the, all of the wrath of God for the accumulated sin of his people is poured out on the innocent head of his own son. And after three hours of absorbing God's wrath for you. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? The son in whom you are well pleased. The father could not look on the sin that was laid upon the brow of his own son. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, it summarizes this well. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Christ died for sins once and for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. But, beloved, that's not all. That's not all. The story doesn't end there. It doesn't, doesn't terminate there in the dark moments of that cross. God raised Jesus to life again as ruler of the world. Amen? That's why we are here. This is, the, this is the event we proclaim. This is the high watermark. This is the center post. This is the sine qua non of the, of the Christian faith. It is all here. It, it, it is focused at this place. God raised Jesus to life again as ruler of the world. Jesus has conquered death. Now gives new life. And will return to judge. And we'll return to judge. God the Father accepted the death of his own son as payment in full for the rebellion of his people. How can we say such things with such confidence? How do we dare stand and proclaim that, that complete pardon can be yours? That you can be fully and rightly related back to your creator when you think on your own life and all of the wickedness. It's because of the resurrection. It is the resurrection. It is God's stamp of approval that he accepted the payment. The death of his own son was sufficient to extinguish all debts. Death could not hold the innocent one. And God raised him to life again. Beloved, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not an incidental detail of the Christian message. It is the very center of the Christian message. And everywhere those early disciples and apostles went, They carried the message of the resurrected Jesus Christ with them. They preached it to the the intellectual elites of their world. They preached it to the lowest and the most poor. They preached it to people regardless of their ethnicities, regardless of their material prosperity. Everywhere they went, they could not be repressed. They spoke. Of the resurrection of Jesus and, and the earth shattering implications of that event. Follow me as I turn to Acts chapter 2 and we briefly trace their preaching ministry. The Apostle Peter. Beginning in verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel... Listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. That's straightforward. Chapter 10. And beginning in verse 34. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, a message now for Gentiles, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, and after the baptism which John proclaimed, you know of Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things that he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. He also put him to death by hanging him on a cross, and God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us who ate and drank with Him after He arose from the dead. And He ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. I'll take you to one more in chapter 17. Where this time the Apostle Paul, standing before the intelligentsia of the world of his day, in Athens, the gathering of the greatest philosophical minds of his day, what message would Paul preach to them? Chapter 17 and verse 30. Therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Jesus... Judge of the living and the dead. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Two ways to live. Two ways to live. My way. Reject the ruler God. Try to run life my own way without him. What will be the result? Condemned by God. Facing death and judgment. God's new way. Or will it be God's new way? Submit to Jesus as our ruler. Rely on Jesus' death and resurrection. Result? Forgiven by God. Given eternal life. Two ways to live question we need to ask ourselves, the question you need to ask yourself, is which way are you living? Which way are you living now? Your way or God's way? And which way do you want to live? Which way do you want to live? If you are living for yourself this morning and you know it to be true and you don't care, you're satisfied, then I would suggest that you don't believe all or some of what I have been saying to you. You're a scoffer. But let me Plead with you. That is that the situation here is eternal. It is that serious. It is eternal life with God, reconciled back to your Creator, or it is a certain judgment and condemnation that will be yours. Death is one hundred percent fatal. Before you finalize your destiny, can I suggest that you check out the facts? Get a Bible. If you don't have one, open it up and read the Gospel of Mark. Read the Gospel of Mark. Make an informed decision. But maybe this morning you know you are a rebel. And you want to change. You want to change. And you can change right now. That's the amazing news. You can change right now, right where you are, in your seat. How? It begins by talking to God by talking to God. We we call it prayer, right? By praying, by by calling out to God, by, by admitting your condition, by praying something like this, God, I am a rebel. The scripture is right when it talks about me. I am a rebel at heart. I deserve condemnation. Please be merciful to me. Oh God, please be merciful to me. Please count Jesus' death as mine. And then submit to Jesus. Submit to Jesus. Stop. Manifesting rebellion in your life. Begin the the process of of following the one to whom you have called out. Turn away from those rebellious behaviors like greed, selfishness, anger. Instead, begin to, to build new habits of generosity, patience, love, kindness, tenderness. Third, don't ever stop trusting Jesus. Don't ever, don't ever stop. Don't ever stop. You will fail. You will fall back into old habits. You will find yourself in, in that place where you're, where you're doing what you don't want to do. Remember. Jesus died for your sin. The penalty has been paid. You are are free before God. And his Spirit, who now will live in you, will both motivate you and empower you to begin to live a life pleasing to him. He uses means to do that, we read the scriptures, we pray, we, we serve within a local fellowship of Christians. We speak to others about Jesus. And in all of these things, the, the Spirit of God reminds and renews within us our hope of the gospel. If you have called out to Jesus, today is your day call out to Jesus. We're going to close our eyes here in a moment and we're going to give you some time. Let's pray. Our Father, may you hear the prayer for mercy that has been voiced by those who know they need Jesus. Amen.